Welcome to an episode again of React Roundup. I am your host today, Carl Mugazi, and today I am joined by Paige. Hey, everybody. TJ. Hey, everyone. And our guest today is Chris Oshard. Hey, how's it going? Cool. So, Chris, would you mind starting off by just telling us a bit about yourself and what you are up to and um, who you are? Sure, yeah. My name is Chris, and I do React and Ruby on Rails. I'm a consultant. Uh, I also uh, do videos for egghead.io, and I uh, just founded, uh, about six months ago, started meetingplace.io, which is a meetup alternative. So that's what I'm up to now. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clabo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out D-O-T-N-E-T. Adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. Oh, awesome. So um, I actually follow you on Twitter and I came across you during the time when you're starting meetingplace.io. Would you mind telling us um, why you started that platform and what kind of drove you to doing so? Yeah, so I run the or I co-run the React meetup here in Indianapolis and Back in October, Meetup decided to run this pricing test where they were going to charge $2 for every person to RSVP, which means that... that so, so it didn't apply to our group, but for some groups they ran the test for, uh, even going to free events was going to cost members $2. And the difference between like $0 and $2 is huge. Even though $2 isn't that much money, it's like now, you know, my free event now costs the people money, uh, which, which didn't make any sense to me at all. And so there are things we didn't like about Meetup before that too. And so that was just the tipping point. Uh, so the next day, I started meetingplace.io. Uh, we got our group onto it, and that's that's why we started basically. Cool, awesome. So um, since kind of starting meetingplace.io, what have you kind of faced by way of challenges? Also, what stack do you use for that as well? Yeah, so that's uh, Ruby on Rails in the back end with React on the front end. Yeah, the biggest challenge right now, the biggest challenge is quarantine because uh, people aren't doing meetups right now. So we we got a really strong start, and then uh, you know March or so came, and and people stopped meeting. So uh, right now, we're pushing really hard on the online experience. So we're doing a Zoom API connection and a Slack integration. And so that's what we're sort of focused on. Uh, yeah, from, from a stack perspective, uh, we do Ruby on Rails. Uh, and we don't do it uh, React as a single page app. Instead, we use the Ruby on Rails router. And then every page that requires interaction is its own Rails app, or sorry, React app. Okay, so that's interesting. So why did you go for that approach? There was a couple of reasons. So we knew that a lot of the site was going to be static. Basically, every page is a sort of a static site. And so for SEO reasons, as well as uh, caching, like, you know, CDN reasons, if you do it server-side rendered with Rails, then you get all the, the nice SEO juice and the, you know, you don't have to worry about React server-side rendering or anything like that. But for all the backend, we knew that that was going to be like all the admin pages and the management pages. That was all really dynamic. So that's why we went with React for that because it's a lot, it's a lot nicer. So did you consider any of the other React-based frameworks like Next.js or Gatsby when you were thinking about what to build this in if you're talking about the server-side rendering? Yeah, so I use Gatsby for my blog, um, so I know that uh, a bit. And I, we could have used Next.js or, or one of the other ones. 
Gatsby feels, since a lot of the site is dynamic and I know Rails really well, I knew how to build it with that. Gatsby felt, uh, with, with Gatsby, I still would have had to connect it to a dynamic backend of some kind. So that's why I didn't think about that, doing it that way right away. Rails basically like has a, it's really batteries included for the backend. And so since I know that really well, the, the other choice would have been Express on Node, which I've done a lot of as well. But I basically had a, a Rails I, I've been I have like a Rails SaaS template that I've been developing over years and years and it's kind of like my go-to toolkit for the back end now. So that's why we stood it up with that. Sure. If you wanted to get something going quickly and that's the easiest way, totally get that. Exactly. Yeah. So how much engagement have you gotten from Meeting Place? How many users do you think you've gotten up to at this point? Yeah, so we're over 2,000 users. That's over 150 live groups. I think it's pretty good. Uh, there are a few groups which are the biggest ones. Um, and then it trails off from there. Quite a few groups only have just a few members. So one of the things we're trying to do is sort of splitting focus. One is get more bigger groups on the site. Um, and then the other is help these smaller groups grow. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the smaller groups are brand new groups. And it takes it can take a lot of energy to get a meetup group going. You have to get the word out somehow. You have to you know either have a Twitter presence or a blog or something. So right now we're building a bunch of docs and sort of like a mini course about like how to market your your group and, and how to get that going. But yeah, so over 2,000 users. So feels pretty good. That's yeah, awesome. I'm actually curious a little bit more about that because I know my limited experience with meetup groups, the hardest challenge is with just like you said, getting people to show up. So I'm curious because it sounds like you have quite a background just with meetups in general. Like, are there any tips you have for people? Like if somebody wants to start a meetup group, like what sort of... Uh, tips do you have to to get that out there to get people to show up, uh, whether it's physical or now remote, I guess, sort of, I, I'd include both. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest tip, I, I guess you should know going into it that it's going to take a long time. It's, there's there's kind of no substitute for just showing up month, you know, month over month and, uh, you know, doing your thing. Uh, and then the other is it kind of all starts from the content. So yeah, so I've, I've run the React Meetup uh, for a while, and I've been a part of lots of meetups in Indianapolis. And if you can, if you can really focus in on what your members, what will teach them something, then that's when you see the highest engagement. So basically, ask your members what's on their mind, what are they struggling with, and then get experts to be guests to just just hammer those home. It, it's it's like it's like if you're trying to grow a blog, but they're just meetings instead of blogs. So you ask your readers or your your members in this case what they need, and then and and then you provide that. Uh, in terms of getting the word out, meetup. Meetups before quarantine were great because uh, they were local, and so you could, you know, talk to people in your area. You could go to other meetups, and you know, say. So when I started the React one, for example, I was part of the Ruby meetup, and so I basically went to the Ruby meetup and the JavaScript meetup in town and said, "Hey, I'm starting this React one," and that got my first, you know, 50 members. Now, when with it's online, when most things are online, my biggest tips are find Slack groups. Uh, that that's a so like Indianapolis has a big Slack group for all the technologists in Indy. So so that's one way to do it. Also, one of the things that we're building into Meeting Place is have a place where you can write about uh, your content online. So we're starting the ability to have a blog. But before that, you had to have a separate site you know, with a, with a blog and articles and stuff. Um, articles really help drive engagement. I guess the last thing I'll say is people forget about things all the time. So just remind them a lot. <laughs> you can send automatic messages uh, to go out and you know, remind them, especially for online events, remind them you know, 10 minutes before one day before, one week before, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And I'm wondering um, then when it comes to remote groups, because I've just sort of been perusing your site around it, I noticed like you have call outs to remote groups. I'm wondering what sort of uptake you've had with that. Just because like on paper, it seems like there's a lot of potential there, right? Because you 
potential, like a local meetup, you're limited to people within, you know, X distance around you. Whereas a, uh, a remote group, technically you could have anybody around the world join. I'm, I'm curious if that's like actually playing out, if you're seeing like success with remote groups or if some of the same struggles apply there as well. Yeah. Some of the biggest things we've seen so far are online group or sorry, in-person groups taking their meetups online. And it started with people just in the local area joining, but they're seeing more and more people join from you know anywhere in the world, um, which is really interesting. And I've had a few groups already tell me they're going to continue the remote portion even when they go back to in-person meetings. And so that's kind of an interesting development. In terms of fully remote groups, that's something that we really want to explore because you're right, like, you know, in-person groups, you can get, what, 50 people meeting in a room or 100 or 200, maybe. Um, but online groups, you could have thousands of people watching a stream, potentially. And it's not something we've pushed on hard enough, I think, yet. I think that's a really interesting space, especially that meetup doesn't do very well yet. Meetup is all about in-person. And that's kind of part of their DNA is in-person groups. Uh, but but it's remote groups, like fully remote, large groups is something that we would like to support. Um, it's, it's not something that we've pushed on too hard. But yeah, we, we could see that happening in the future. Even like, so for example, a lot of developers, I think about developer meetups all the time, this applies to anybody, but a lot of developers will stream on Twitch, for example, like the same time every week. And I think a meeting place group is a, is a great place where that person could build more of a community outside of the stream and then has built the built-in automatic reminders that, hey, you know, I'm going live in 10 minutes, for example, and that's straight to their email. So it's, it's kind of like building an email list around, around events. So that's sort of the direction that we're heading. So with the meeting place, um, how did you go about, <coughs> sorry, thinking about breaking down the React part of the application in terms of um, maybe things like components and state management? How did you go about thinking about that and actually putting into practice? Basically, any, any page that uh, was going to be dynamic is a single div with a, that React mounts to. And in terms of breaking down the components, uh, there are a lot of shared components. So I started with Bootstrap as well. So I don't go all the way down to like the button level for React because I just use the Bootstrap buttons. But for example, all the forms are generally the same. So I have a form input, you know, with labels and things, checkboxes, I made those. And so that's how I built up the base layer of components. Anytime I basically replicated, it started with form inputs mostly, form inputs more than once took that into a shared component layer. And then from that, every page that's dynamic is a little bit like uh, like, like a mini wizard almost. So, so like you click a thing. It, so like if you click remote versus in-person, for example, the remote section flips over. And so each one of those is just modeled as a page in React. So we have different pages. You can flip between them with you know state at a higher level. The small components are all in a shared directory. So for state, are you using um, context or are you using Redux, Mobix, yeah, right now it's just context. Almost every other project I've done has been in Redux, which is great for uh, single page applications. But this, w what I found here is it's basically, I don't need it, uh, at, le at least not yet. Since it's not a single page app, it doesn't share context over huge component trees. Yeah, built in context has been great. The new Hooks API. So I have a question going back to Meeting Place, just uh, actually kind of like the business aspect of this. Because back to your example of meetup.com and the when they started charging $2 for RSVP and all that, and there was a huge backlash to that, which I totally understand. But at the same time, I get why Meetup was trying to do it because I have absolutely no clue how they make money. Like it's a super, it's a service that's been around for a long time. I've used it for years. I've never paid them a cent. I have no clue how they exist uh, sort, of, sort of situation. So I'm curious what your plan is with meetingplace.com IO is this a service that you intend to be free that you're doing in your like your free time or are you trying to make this into like a, a business that that can 
uh, really take off and support uh, sort of, I guess, what's the financial situation behind this? I'm just sort of curious. Yeah, sure. Yeah, most people don't realize how Meetup makes money unless they run a Meetup. So the way they make money is the organizers pay every month to uh, run a Meetup. So every organizer on the site pays at least $16 a month. That's like the base price. And then they have like a pro $30 a month per group price. And then they work with organizations too. So I think like $30 a month like, like you can imagine some organizations have, you know, like a hundred or a thousand meetup groups across the world. And so they, they do some, I, I don't know exactly the details there, but um, yeah. So, yeah. So uh, right now we're, we're the same model. So uh, we charge a little less. We charge uh, $12 a month for per group for a meetup group in the future, which I want to keep. And then we have a free tier as well, uh, which meetup doesn't have. We have up to a hundred members. You can, for free. So that's kind of how we, you know, say you can try it out for free and get going. And then if you grow to more than 100 members, then you, you know, pay 12 bucks a month, which, which I think is super reasonable for, you know, most groups. Yeah, um, for sure. Because I think you're like local groups, 100 is a pretty reasonable amount to get started and sort of bootstrap and see if you want to try to grow it bigger before you start paying money to support all of that. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. And then if we end up moving towards kind of this model of a lot of online groups, which is more of like an email list, and then if we attract, do more, one of the big things we want to do is more community type features. So, you know, Meetup has a forum, but it'd be great if, you know, it was a forum that also interacted with your Slack group, which you probably have as a big Meetup. And, you know, there's all these community type features which you could build in. And so those might be more pro type features. But So Chris, how long did it take you to actually get a working, I guess, MVP of Meeting Place from when you started and you know decided that you wanted to build it to actually getting it out there for people to start trying out. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I chose React and on top of Rails as well because I knew I could do it super fast. So uh, in under a week, I had like the first version working for for our local group, uh, and then in, in a couple of weeks, I let a few other groups uh, get on it. Part of it was I knew I had to move fast because the news about Meetup was still like a lot of people were really angry and they were looking for something to switch to. So like I said, I have this kind of SaaS template that I've used on a lot of my projects. So I use that to get started. You know, it includes device for authentication. It has... So with Rails 6, uh, React is super easy to add because it has Webpacker all built in. So it's like... It, the setup was basically instant. And uh, yeah, so the first version was up really fast. Now, now the thing that's sort of deceptive though is that there's all these... There's like a million tiny features that you don't think about, which I think is true for any application. But yeah, so we've been building the million of tiny features since then. But yep. That's, I mean, that's amazingly fast to have anything out for anybody to use. Yeah. So, so on that, on that um, kind of in a week's time, so I'm guessing the template you had, how many other projects had you built prior to Meetup to be in a place where within a week you had a, full, a kind of MVP, right? That was being used by other people because of yourself. Probably, probably three or four things have been on that the template I've sort of been building up, but I built. So one of the things I've done, so I've been a web developer for 12 years or something. I try to, you know, every year I build a few side projects that I know that I'm just going to can, you know, so like I build them and then I know, you know, they're not going to go anywhere, but that sort of keeps this, this muscle sharp of like being able to start something really fast. And so like that exact template, probably about three or four projects I've used it on, but in the 12 years, you know, I've done probably three or four a year for, for that, that long. So yeah, that's something I really recommend is just build stuff that you know, you know, you're going to throw it away, uh, but just to keep your muscles sharp, basically. After you got it up and going, were you, are you able to work on it full time or do you have like another job and this is just, you know, when you have time to work on it? Okay. Yeah. So I'm an independent consultant. I was full time. Let's see. 
back when I started it, I, I had nearly all of my time books. So that wasn't full time. But since then, I've started winding consulting down as meeting places ramped up as well as so I do egghead videos, which pays a little bit. And I have a few other things that make some money. So I'm trying to diversify my income a little bit as I ramp meeting place up basically because it's it's slow, especially with quarantine now, and no groups are starting. And so uh, the switch to kind of online groups, you know, if, if I was relying on meeting place, that wouldn't have been good. But but yeah, so as meeting place ramps up, I'm wrapping my consulting down, basically. Yeah, on that egghead piece, I follow you on Twitter, like I said, and I've seen that you post quite a lot of kind of snippets or threads of um, concepts in terms of, let's say, I think you did one recently about React fragments, for example, yep. where you kind of share what you've learned in about two or three tweets. Now, when it comes to your content education, how do you think about it? And what's your philosophy about how to go about sharing and teaching other people how to learn about React or whatever you're, you're, you're teaching? That I would say I'm still trying to work out. <laughs> I just kind of put stuff out there and see what people like. Uh, one thing I really like is, so there's uh, someone called Harry Dry, and he does something called uh, Marketing Examples. And his Twitter philosophy is uh, you want to teach things. I think he took this from someone else too. He said, uh, oh, it may have been... Uh, West Boss and uh, Adam Wathen do the same thing. Um, you want to yeah, teach so things, that, yeah. yeah. You want to teach things on Twitter. So you can, for example, write a blog post and then say, "Hey, check out my blog post." But that doesn't get much engagement. That doesn't teach people things. They don't like clicking links if they're just scrolling in their feed. And so I try to figure out what can I teach in just a few tweets or even one tweet, and you know, do it right in Twitter. Sometimes, like for Egghead, for example, I'll try to t- teach something in a couple of tweets and then link to an Egghead uh, video. Or you know, link to a blog post at the end of that. But yeah, you know, how can you teach right in Twitter or Instagram or whatever? I don't do anything else, but so that's how I think about it. In terms of you know, I, I think I have a long way to go in terms of like building a consistent process around it because I kind of jump around a, a lot. But yeah, I like doing crash course kind of tweets. I like doing. I, I have a. I've gotten an iPad with Procreate recently, so that's what I'm doing. Some of the drawing that like that React fragment ones, which may or may not do well. I also do. Uh, I've done some character animation recently. This is like things I do in my spare time. So I brought that into some of my videos, which have been kind of funny. I was a potato explaining things as a potato for a while. Um, so I just kind of try stuff and <laughs> see what sticks. I, I like that concept a lot. And it's something I actually might totally steal because I've noticed, I, I, I mean, I've been a blogger for a long time at this point. And so I still very much follow the, I write things up in a blog post and then I post a tweet with a link to the blog. And I find that that's extremely hit or miss because occasionally you hit something with an interesting title that captures people's attention and it takes off. But there's a lot of times where I spend two weeks researching and writing something. I like try to promote it, tweet it, there are crickets and nothing happens. <laughs> so I, I, I sort of like the, your concept of just like quick things because then there's not much of a, if it fails to take off and no one cares, there's really not much downside because uh, it's not like you put in a, ton of effort into it. So uh, no real question here, just um, <laughs> basically uh, making notes for myself because I really like that idea. Yeah, that's so that's exactly what I did. So last week I did something like I was looking at uh, Recoil, Re- Redux, uh, MobX, and I was like, you know, I should write up kind of a state of React state management thread. And so I did and that got a lot of engagement. And so now I'm writing a big old blog post about it. And so yeah, so I use Twitter as kind of a test bed to see what people are thinking about. That's cool. Do you write for anybody else like as a paid writer for tech companies or other blog sites? Or do you just write primarily for yourself and now for Meeting Place and stuff like that? I've done some paid writing. It can be it can be solid if you find the right companies. And there is another thread. Uh, Emma Boston did a thread about this, I think. But paid writing is a thing, which I don't think people realize. You can get paid 
a hundred to you know maybe a thousand dollars per post if it's a really in depth one. My average is probably two fifty to five hundred dollars for a post. And yeah, so tech companies really need content. And so if you want to write, and then yeah, you can get paid for writing. Part of the problem is like if you if you do a really long post and then there's revisions, then basically um, you know sometimes it would like I could have consulted for more money in the time it takes me to write a big long post. So that's what you run into. But yeah, uh, if if you're interested in that. The best advice I have is start writing on your own blog first, um, and then start cross-posting to dev dot dev or to Medium and or Hacker uh, Hacker Noon, right, or or any of those. And if you cross-post enough to those, then people will just start contacting you. Actually, which is kind of neat. Yeah, I actually started writing on Medium, and uh, a couple of different companies reached out to me, and now one of the Medium publications reached out to me as well. So I was just curious if you had gotten into that as long as you're you know, doing videos for Egghead and other stuff like that too. It could be a great way to grow your network too. So um, like CSS Tricks is one, uh, Hacker Noon, like I said, there's some really big publications for technologists who, uh, you know, to, to help grow your, and you get paid to write on most of those. So Now, just plus one that there's a huge demand out there. And I think a lot of it is because, and I can speak from my personal experience at Progress, there's lots of these companies that have blogs and want to make sure the blogs have a consistent stream of content. And oftentimes doing that is difficult. So I know we work with contractors to pay to write too. So sometimes just reaching out, especially if there's a blog you like, lots of these people just like get help, right? (laughs) So you could just reach out and ask. It never hurts to ask and uh, you could find your way. And I know back in the day too, I, I got some help from my name appearing in some bigger blog publications. Like, like you said, it can really help from a networking perspective, building your own brand, um, all that good type of stuff. So just plus oneing all of that. Yeah, I'd say maybe like plus, plus one if you like on that as well. Um, <laughs> I, I actually wrote for Smashing Magazine, which is my first, I think, ever kind of paid tech post. And I also wrote recently for a different website, which is run by a guy which is doing jobs, jobs for JS developers. And basically he asked me to write about the job queue because I think of SEO kind of jobs in um, whatever website he's doing. So yeah, I think if you, um, I think for me, I started writing on my blog and then I thought, okay, fine. I'll, I'll make a list of all the different blogs that I actually paid to for developers. And I think I, I, I messaged I think a bunch of them and then I got like two hits in response and then I actually got work from that so yeah definitely um reaching out and the worst for me is the worst they can do is say no right and if they say yes it's good for you so yeah definitely plus plus one on that so Chris what are kind of going back to meeting place what are some of the differentiators you think that are there versus meetup one of the biggest differentiators I guess why people besides you know having a free tier besides some of the stuff, the new integrations that you're doing? At the start, uh, basically, we weren't Meetup, which attracted a lot of people. A lot of people were really just kind of fed up with you know one aspect or another of Meetup. Uh, and, and we kind of were too, which to, to be fair, like Meetup was great for us for a long time. I still think, you know, it's great that they they empower this this huge, you know, global network of, of people. But, you know, there are, th- there are some things about them that we didn't like so much. But now, going, like, looking forward, uh, well, so, so in the past, like, so, for example, like, my email address is on, like, every page, for example. So, like, you know, whereas Meetup, like, one of the things we keep hearing is it's really hard to get help from Meetup. Like, they, they don't have a great way to do that, whereas I'm the founder and I'll reply, you know, like, within an hour if you have a question. And I'm the developer, so I can fix your problems. Going forward, though, like, one of the things I mentioned is Meetup kind of 
they don't look at the online experience very much. They really focus on in-person meetups, whereas I think we can do a much better job in a lot of areas. I mean, we're not there yet, but that's kind of where we're going. It's a great online experience. Also, integrations with places. Meetup has an API that's kind of weird to use, and then they don't do great integrations. So I think there's a lot of room for us to do integrations. And so those are some of the places we are going uh, where, where I think we can be a differentiator. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Have you thought about what, what would happen if, let's say, Meetup decided to kind of steal from you, if you like, and then maybe focus more on the online experience or if they lower their prices to kind of compete with you? Have you thought about that far and how you'd respond to that? The, the circle of Meetup was they were independent, then they were bought by WeWork. And now, which is another thing, a lot of people don't like WeWork. And so that was why a lot of people started using us. Uh, but just recently, they were bought again by this sort of investment group. And so a lot of people think that if they're going to change, then now is the time they're going to do it because they were bought by this investment group. I think they are going to have to do more online things just because of, of lockdown. And so we've thought about that. Some part, part of the thing is they have, like, they have a big staff. They have to pay a lot of people. For me, it's just me and uh, my... Uh, you know, uh, There's two other people working on it with me, sort of part-time. And so we, we basically... And I pay the bills with consulting. And so you know, if it takes... A long time for me to get going. That's okay, and we only have to pay three people, not you know a couple hundred. So, so, so I'm I'm okay with that. If I think you know we're providing a good product for the groups that we have, and, and it would be great if Meetup you know up their online experience, and you know like then uh, other people would get the benefits too. So I think that would be great if if they did that. Have you done any cool consulting for you know companies that we would know, or any really interesting projects over the past however long you've been in the consulting realm? Yeah, so I've been consulting for about four years. I was a developer at a healthcare startup before that, and then been consulting for about, for about four years. My biggest company, the coolest company. Let's see, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of neat um, work for startups, like smaller companies, and, and a lot in the healthcare space. I think because that's where I got started, um, and then some of the financial uh, space as well. And so most of the really cool stuff I've done has been like, let's see, wh- one of the things was I made. Uh, signs to go in hospitals that automatically updated with patient status and things like that to help the nurses. So, you know, that's really nice. You feel like you're actually helping in in some kind of way. And so it's just nice to be able to pick your projects because I can 
pick projects that I think are actually helpful or useful or that I'll learn something from. And so, yeah, that's, I've just been enjoying doing a whole bunch of different projects. Sort of curious, what got you into consulting in the first place? Because uh, you said you were a full-time developer for a long time. And I think there's probably lots of people out there that are doing full-time development and sort of considering sort of taking the leap. So curious what, what sort of convinced you to try that out and like any tips you might have for people that are considering making that sort of their trying to go full-time in the consulting route? Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of thoughts uh, about that. Um, I'm writing <laughs> an ebook about that right now, actually. So uh, yeah, so, so here's the preview. So, yeah, <laughs> so I was, I was in the same job for, it was like seven or eight years. And I really liked the people I worked with. I liked, it was in healthcare and I liked that aspect of it. I did not like some of the things about selling into hospitals. <laughs> there, I don't know, it, you know, if you sell into large enterprises, there are just a million things that can go wrong and it's like the same problems every time. And it's just, anyway, I kind of burnt out on that. And so I just had to leave that. And so when I was leaving, I thought, well, I could get another job, uh, but I was sort of burnt out at the time. So instead, someone goes back to meetups, someone who I'd been going to meetups with for, you know, like basically all eight years, he had an extra project that he was, that he couldn't handle. And so I, that was my first client. So basically half time started that. And so my first real tip is to just go, like go to a lot of meetups or meetingplace.io groups and, um, you know, just start meeting the people in your area. And this, this isn't like networking. Some people try like networking, but this, what, what I mean is just like getting to know people in your, uh, in your space, getting to know other developers. And if you decide to go consult, Right now, it's a really hot market for developer consultants. And so chances are people who you know probably have at least some work if you, you, know, if you ask them and you've proven over many years that you know what you're talking about. Let's see, from there, uh, the other thing I say all the time is make sure you are a, uh, a visible expert in your space. And by visible, that usually means blog, but it can mean other things. You can have a YouTube channel or you can have something. And in my case, I wrote an ebook about React. And that first ebook, it didn't sell very well, but basically every engagement a consulting engagement I had after that, the conversation went something like they would ask me, you know, uh, what have I done? Uh, how, basically, they're trying to prove to themselves that I can be trustworthy. And I would say, well, I wrote an ebook about React. And that was kind of the end of that conversation. They're like, oh, so you know what you're talking about? Yes. And so that's like my magic trick is do something like write an ebook or have a YouTube channel or something like that. Yeah, I can keep talking if you want. But uh, yeah, let me, <laughs> let me know what else you want to know about <laughs> no, consulting. So, no. Well, uh, no, go on, Paige. Go on. Well, I was just going to say, after you got your first client that was kind of handed to you or gifted to you from your your friend, how did you go about finding new clients or finding more business? Was it mostly referrals or was it really just kind of reaching out to people that you had worked with previously? Or how did you, how did you do that? A big mix of both. So definitely your network is going to be a huge, uh, which is frustrating for people just getting started. But like people who you know is, is going to be a big source of uh, leads. Another tip I have, though, and what I did a few times is you can go to job boards. So I went to actually the Hacker News job thread is great for this. And you look for anyone who's hiring full time for the thing. And you email them. This doesn't work for like HR or recruiting. So make sure it's like an, the engineering manager or something. And emails them and say, you know, I don't want to do this full time, but I'm a contractor, I can do the work. And I got probably 75% no's. But you know, I got several good clients out of that. And so yeah, don't be afraid to reach out directly to people hiring engineers and say you, you're a contractor. That works, that works pretty well. Uh, the other thing I've done, I've done some subcontracting. So larger contract house, like four to 20 people is a, is a good, you know, so look for contracts, contractors who have like four to 20 people working at their business and then just ask if they have extra work. 
uh, it helps to know them beforehand. But even if you don't, you know, a lot of times they'll have some extra work. So those are kind of the big ways I've done it. And, and then now though, it's all referrals. I get, you know, my old clients refer other people and yeah, I have more work than I can handle. So awesome. So on that, I'm guessing as you go into different companies, get to see their, their stacks and what they're using. With regards to React, um, how have you seen companies use React and what they struggle with? And what they're, look, what they're looking for in a developer who also knows JavaScript, right? But actually he's able to use React as well. There's kind of two ways that companies use React. One is right from the beginning, they know they're going to use React. And so they set it up all nicely and it's clean. And usually they use Create React app, right? And then they have something like Redux or MobX or something to do con- context. Now it's a lot of times they start with just context with hooks and then they switch to something like Redux or MobX. And then the other way people use it is they have an existing application and some developer learns of this cool thing called React and they kind of smush it into their existing application however they can. And that happens more often than you'd think. Probably uh, half or more of my consulting clients are something like that. And now, you know, after a few months, they're like, uh, we don't know what we're doing. We want to bring someone, an expert in to kind of clean things up. Yeah, so those are kind of the two ways people do it. When they're looking for the, the second way, so, so the first way, they're, they're more looking for someone who's just done a lot of React projects. You you. You know, you show you can write clean React code. And that is where, if, especially if you don't have a lot of experience, those kind of teams are more likely to hire junior developers because they have the React experts in-house. They just need some more, some more people to come and do work. If you start becoming more of an independent senior level consultant, that's where the, you get the second kind of company, which is they screwed something up and now they want you to come in and fix it or to teach their developers how to do it. And for that, that's, that's when it's been really helpful to run the React meetup in town, to be an egghead instructor, to have written the React ebook because you, you know, you've shown by, by teaching other people, you've shown that you know the kind of senior level concepts. Um, and then you can come in and sort of clean up their code. Yes. Yeah. So and with that, what do you think is going to be the future in terms of um kind of React and Angular and V? Because I think I get the sense that right now React is becoming kind of the go-to framework. And as a result, you've got people like yourself, like Ken C. Dodds, like um, other people actually basically kind of focus a lot on React. And that's kind of growing, growing itself kind of existing where you've got consultants in React, um, doesn't React. Like, what's your viewpoint on the future of React in terms of the future? React is definitely growing. Vue is growing as well. I've seen a lot of people using Vue. Angular, I would say, is probably shrinking. And so, yeah, I think more and more companies are recognizing that it is complicated to write UIs, you know, like nice dynamic UI, and that React solves that problem. Um, and then React team has shown that they've been really able to adjust to new things. So with the new Hooks API, for example, with, so there are nicer ways to write some of the, uh, re, you know, some React things. Some people think that React, so, so especially with the old way to write Redux, uh, a lot of people got frustrated because they thought it was too complicated. They do things, you know, they, they see someone do something one way, and so they kind of do it that way, and then they do it a different way, and then they do it a different way, and now you end up with like four different paradigms in one app. And so I think that is generally... I would have tried to avoid that when, when you're writing React. But yeah, I think the future React is cleaner, you know, more streamlined state management, for example. With So Redux has hooks now. Uh, Recoil just came out, which I'm really excited about. Um, and then Context, which is built in. That alone, I think, is the source of a lot of stress for teams. And so just with that being cleaned up and sort of more mature, I think uh, a lot of teams will have better access to, or, you know, that they'll enjoy a lot more of the uh, the benefits of React without some of the downsides. So Chris, it sounds like you're a master of many trades. You know, you write blog posts, you're running Meeting Place IO, you're writing React tips that are getting picked up by Dan Abramoff, 
you wrote an ebook. How do you find the time and you build side projects? How do you find the time to do all of this? I, I do way too much. That's, <laughs> that's the answer. Um, or, I, or I do a lot of things not as well as I should. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've always been really interested in just doing lots of different things. And so that, that's part of, that was part of the, the itch I was feeling when I was in my, my old job. Like I just couldn't sit and do the same thing for eight hours a day, you know, for seven days a week and, or five days a week. And so now I do, you know, just lots of different things. And it's something I'm trying to get better at, like focusing. But every time I try to focus, you know, something new pops up and I start doing that as well. So yeah, I just, I just like doing lots of different things. Uh, I, I also, especially with lockdown, have no social life. And so I, <laughs> I just say, you know, <laughs> I, I have kid time and I have some family time. And then the rest is kind of thinking about code in one way or another. Um, and I had kind of one last question regarding your educational stuff. Um, when you teach um, React, um, what do you find people tend to struggle with the most? Could be beginners or even advanced people. What concepts do you find people tend to get stuck on? And um, how do you go about helping them understand that concept and learn how to use it properly, if you like? One of the biggest things is, so React itself is small, uh, but that now you need a million different libraries. You know, you have to add on all your different libraries and people get really confused because there's lots of ways to do everything. A lot of people, beginners especially, they don't know if they're doing it the right way. And so they sort of clam up and they freeze up and, and then they have trouble there. This is especially the case. Uh, I see this a lot. Beginners will get onto a project that has React and old Redux especially. And they, they can't differentiate between Redux and React. And they just have a lot of trouble with where to put, you know, actions and selectors and, and whatever. And, and that can be really stressful for them. Um, I think, kind of like I talked about, I think the platform is maturing. And so I think people are like, like so Redux has gotten a lot cleaner with Redux Toolkit and the hooks now. And so I think that's helping a lot. Um, the other is, so when I'm actually teaching, it helps to have talked to a lot of beginners. So I've talked to a bunch of beginners. And so I sort of understand their mindset a little bit. And I also just, I try to, uh, e even though I've been doing this for a long time, I just, it's easy for me to still remember what it was like when I was first learning it. And so I think that's really key. Like when you're first learning it, like I had trouble for a long time figuring out the difference between props and state, for example. Like, and I think a lot of beginners do. And now it seems so simple. It's like, well, yes, of course, the, you know, props and state are different. And obviously, but I remember for a long time, like trying to change the props and then the thing wouldn't re-render and I, you know, like, and I didn't understand why. And so I just remember all the struggles that I had and I, I just addressed them, you know, in, in my content. And so I guess, I guess that's what I would say. Also, if you're, if you're someone looking to teach, one of the most effective ways that you can do this is think about something you just learned, like either this week or this month or even in the last like six months or so, and write content for the person that's right behind you. This is a pretty common tactic online. But basically, like, you know, so if you're a beginner, you can still teach. Like you just learned something probably, right? So write a blog post about that. Not only will it help cement that you know, that learning in your mind, it'll help the next person coming up behind you. So that's what I try to do too. So whenever I learn something new, I try to teach the concept I just learned basically. Yeah, I like that. I, I've heard the phrase before, like almost even when you get to writing, you can phrase, um, if you're having trouble, just like writer's block sort of thing, you can almost phrase it like a conversation, like you're explaining someone that came to your desk and said, how does, you know, what is happening here? How does this work? And just phrase what you're writing in that tone. Just, you're just explaining to someone that hasn't went through the pain you just experienced, even if it's something that you seem that you think is kind of simple. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community, and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clabo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected 
in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out D-O-T-N-E-T. Adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. So let's get to picks. Um, I'll start with you, TJ. You're going to picks for us this week. Yeah, so I've got two different things. The first is podcast I've listened to for a while. I don't think I've mentioned on this show. Uh, the Verge has a podcast called The Verge Cast. That's just it's sort of general tech tips and tricks, but I like it for keeping track of not necessarily the development world, but the broader sort of tech industry: Apple, Windows, Google, Microsoft. I think they do a pretty good job of that. Uh, it's just a weekly podcast, so that's my first pick. Second one's going to be a personal plug. Uh, so I've started up a thing called React Wednesdays on Twitch, which we're doing from 1 to 2.30. And we're trying to bring on guests and such. And actually, uh, per Chris's advice, maybe I'll have to register this on meetingplace.io to try to grow the community more. But nice. uh, it'll be it's on our Coded Live channel, so I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. So you might want to check that out. Oh, awesome. Um, Paige, what about you? I have two also, actually. The first one is completely not dev code related at all. It's a, it's a website called tracked.tv, and it's great for when you're binge watching everything that's available online, like a lot of us are, because that's about all there is to do after hours. Uh, it just keeps track of what you have watched, shows, movies. You can even integrate it if you're using something like Plex or Netflix or Streamio or something. And as you watch shows, it will just tick off the boxes for you. And then the other thing is actually dev-related. It is an app that I found that's called Dev Community. And I was scrolling through my social media feeds way too often and decided I wanted some better quality content than that. So Dev Community is kind of like that. It's but it's all developer focused and it's just kind of a, a cool way, like TJ was saying, to keep a pulse on what's happening in the development world more in general. And it's right there on your phone, which is pretty neat. Awesome. Uh, my picks this week as so the first one is um, at work I've just introduced a uh, different way of writing async code. So prior to that, I used to do a lot of the, the kind of typical try catch async stuff. But then I found that there was, an, there was an, a case where if the promise was rejected, that error wasn't, wasn't always caught. So I came across a different pattern, which is um, kind of goal influences, where basically you return an array that's got an error in the response. And with that, you just basically um, kind of hide away the, the logic for ca catching the errors using promises behind the scenes. So I'll post a link to the blog post. But for me, this actually is quite cl is cleaner because then I... I don't need to have a lot of try-catch blocks in my code. So let's say, for example, I wanted to um, try getting a request, and then from that request, try getting more requests. So for quickly, you can have, can have um, try-catch blocks in a stage, but with this approach is kind of kind of is flat and much cleaner. And the second approach is, uh, second pick, sorry, is so on Twitter, I, I follow a lot of people, um, and when it comes to politics and news and all that, I basically created a list of the people and kind of sources for news I follow. And all those sources, I've actually unfollowed them. And my newsfeed is now so much cleaner. And I find that it helps me kind of go on Twitter, knowing that if I need to look at news, I go to my list. But otherwise, my feed is normally like just friends and tech stuff. And I think 
it's good for me because I am able to kind of take a break from all the stuff that's happening in the world, uh, we, you know, with coronavirus and, and all the protests. And I'm able to kind of focus, okay, today, I want to go on, I want to go on Twitter and just look at death stuff. But then maybe today, I want to go online and look at, and look at news and whatnot. So I think that approach for me has been quite a good thing. Chris, have anything for us this week? Let's see. Uh, dev.to, I, I mentioned. So uh, if, if you are wanting to write and you don't know uh, where to write, uh, dev.to is a great community. So that's that's cool. Uh, otherwise, check out meetingplace.io if you want to start or join a meetup group. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Chris Richard. So that's it for today. So thank you again, I'm Chris, for talking to us today. And again, thank you, TJ. And thank you, Paige. And I'm Carl. And thank you very much. Thank you. See you next week. Cheers. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.